0: Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider Man. franchise detours episode 19 rob here you can find more episodes of this show on apple Podcasts, spotify and other podcatchers as well as crookedtable.com if you can leave us a rating and or review on apple Podcasts or spotify that would really help us get the word out about the show a lot of fun things uh coming up this year now that we're back to a regular schedule of uh episodes being posted starting with this episode we're starting a brand new mega series We are launching into the Spider-Man trilogy directed by Sam Raimi. That's Spider-Man from 2002, Spider-Man 2 from 2004, and Spider-Man 3 from 2007. Journey back to a time when Spider-Man movies weren't coming out every six months or so. Uh, So this will be a really fun conversation with the Lady Wan as we talk about the original Spider-Man film from 2002, directed, of course, by Sam Raimi. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about Spider Man. Not everyone is meant to make a difference. But for me, the choice to live an ordinary life is no longer an option.
1: He saved my life twice and I've never even seen his face.
0: (gasps) You are amazing. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are swinging through the streets of New York City and starting a new mega series. This episode, we're going to be talking about the 2002 film Spider-Man, not the 14 other ones that have come after it in in the last 20 years. And I'm honored to welcome to the show The Lady One. Welcome to Franchise Detours.
1: Thank you. I am ecstatic to be here and talk about this movie.
0: <laughs> so tell, <laughs> tell people who somehow don't know who you are, uh, who you are and, uh, and about Screen Run, your podcast.
1: Yeah. So I am the Lady Juan. That's where you can find me on Twitter and at me about any of the ridiculous things I say today. My show that I do is called Screen Run. We've got two seasons out right now, and we're planning our third. The first season was the films of Kevin Smith, where my co host and I, Chris, kind of go uh, movie by movie through his career. And I devolve into absolute insanity and end up hating him by the end of it. Spoiler alert. And then our second season was the Alien films. So season three is going to be a little bit different and it'll be coming soon. So you can check those out anywhere you listen to
0: podcasts. Before we get to the 2002 Spider-Man film, tell people just what are your, since this was the first movie in not only the franchise, but really the first live action film of Spider-Man period, what is your, your background with Spider-Man and your familiarity with him prior to this film?
1: So I, I enjoyed the cartoon I was... I was all about it. It was a fun watch. And even without being like a comic book reader, Spider-Man was always kind of my favorite superhero. He was a kid. He was into journalism. and <laughs> I was like journalism <laughs> nerd. So it just... It just was a fit. And I, I grew up for a few years of my childhood outside of New York, like in Long Island. So like the city was right there. And that's where I wanted to go to college. And I wanted to, you know, Live that life. And, you know, I thought just thought Spider-Man was the coolest. So this movie really it got me good. it It got me good when it came out. This is the first time I obsessively went to the movie theater. I think I saw it eight times, wow, in the theater, yeah, that was the that was the first time I saw a movie more than once in the theater. And I went hard and I saw it eight times.
0: well, I mean, it, it's it, Spider-Man is also essentially like the mascot for Marvel. If you took a global poll of the most famous superheroes, it's Batman, Superman, and Spider Man. Totally, essentially. Yeah. Uh, followed followed by you know Wonder Woman, and now everyone in the MCU. Everybody yeah. knows everybody, <laughs> including Rocket Raccoon. So now the yeah. whole thing is skewed. But back in the day, we had Batman movies, Superman movies, but you didn't have the major superheroes. Blade kind of started it in '98. Mm-hmm. Really, I think is the first lot, the first major Marvel film since Howard the Duck is. I think where we <laughs> were at. Yeah. <laughs> at that point it was Howard the Duck and then they were like oh maybe that's not maybe let's not do movies for a while <laughs> until Blade and then Blade happened and then X-Men happened and then Spider-Man mm-hmm. happened and then everything else happened really right. Spider-Man kind of kicked everything else off and for me you know I, I like you I didn't really read comic books that much I played a lot of the video games based on these characters I I grew up with the Michael Keaton Batman films and, and the Fox Kids, the X-Men cartoons and the Spider-Man cartoons. Those were like, that was my entry point into a lot of the Marvel side of things. And when this came out, I was working at AMC theaters at the time. And I remember they had that the giant one sheet poster, the the main poster from this film with him hanging on the side of the building. When you would walk into the lobby of the theater and someone, I, I guess one of my coworkers snagged that and has it like on their ceiling or something. Um, because so when you when you worked probably the manager at the time honestly was like I'm taking the Spider-Man <laughs> because that's what they did with the posters and stuff they didn't have anywhere to put them afterwards so I would see that I remember I remember really being kind of kind of fascinated by the idea that this character was getting a movie for the first time after we had you know after we had had so many Batman so many Supermans even already at that point mm-hmm. and Spider-Man had never made his big debut I remember the the, the teaser trailer do you remember the teaser trailer with the I world I do. Trailer? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's it was a lot. It was a, it was a big deal and I feel like people now maybe don't realize how big a deal it was when this film came out. Mhm. Yeah. Like this this thing uh, I, I would say now it's it's you know obviously we're probably going to get X-Men tied into uh Doctor Strange and the multiverse and things like that but it feels like in a lot of ways this was kind of the unofficial launch of the MCU. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it It obviously took us a while to get Spidey back officially right. into the MCU. But I think if you look at the superhero movies that were before this, this one really is kind of living in the same territory as the MCU, creativity-wise. It's Absolutely. not overly gritty. It's not overly silly. It's not super you know, fantastic and and weird. And I think the X-Men movie, the, the first one was kind of in the same space too, where it was just realistic enough, but doing the comic book things enough. And that, I, I don't, I think it's kind of hard to notice it in this movie because that's the, just the way now with the MCU. But this right, is right. X-Men is kind of where that started.
0: Absolutely. I think I give this one more credit for for directly... Corresponding to the MCU because of it, because of how true it is to to the comics, to the tone mm-hmm. of what would be kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe tone, and because you know even the X Men movies they had them in leather suits with, yes. with the stitching that like homage their their comic books you know their comic book counterparts, but this one J K Simmons looks like he's stripped, he's ripped right out of the page of the comic. Yeah, book. I mean <laughs> you have Tobey Maguire wearing a a you know a one piece sort of jumpsuit and things like that. Like it's not a shame to take what's on the page and, and make it real. If he's not wearing an armored suit, which ironically the MCU would be the ones to put <laughs> the uh live action yeah. Spider-Man into an armored suit, which is kind of funny. But but yeah, it's it's setting the tone for, you know, the MCU. The Marvel movies or are, are mostly family friendly. They have a little bit of darkness. They have levity kind of throughout. It's it sort of hits that tone. And I think the the marriage of Sam Raimi and this material is is so pitch perfect because yeah. he's he he understands in a way that inherently all of this is ridiculous. Like yeah. it's it's a kid who gets bitten by a here it's a genetically engineered spider, right. and then you know literally here organically has web start coming out of his wrists. It's it's yeah. weird and it shouldn't work, and yet he he plays it serious. You know the movie takes it seriously, but also. Hey, it's a guy with web shooting out of his arms. We're going to have some fun with it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it works with Raimi is because, you know, he's a weirdo and he loves Peter Parker and he loves Spider-Man. And you can feel that like he loves the character. He loves the tragedy of Spider-Man and the weirdness and the humor. And I think you that comes across in what he did with this movie and the franchise overall.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think when this came out, this was a a kind of seismic shift that even us living through it, these young people now are spoiled with all these superhero movies every three months. (laughs) (laughs) Back in 2002, a Spider-Man movie was a big deal. Now we have one every other year, pretty much, between MCU and Mm -hmm. like the Sony multiverse of whatever and all that other stuff. But this came out, this made over $400 million in 2002. That's even the X Men movie made. I think like one fifty, maybe something like that. Yeah, this was uh, massive. This was huge for two thousand two. Four hundred million was nothing to sneeze at. Like this, put it yeah. in the upper echelon of some of the highest cursing movies of all time. And yeah. I I think part of that is one Spider Man, like we said, was such a a huge figure, had never been in a film before. And that, that in and of itself was sort of an event. I think that you had the right man for the for the job in Sam Raimi. I think Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. was at the perfect place in his career, even though technically, you know, it looks kind of old to be like 17, which we'll, I'm <laughs> sure we'll get to. But, but also this movie hits theaters, what, nine months, eight months after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain element there oh, that yeah. helps sort of elevate it as well, because you have, you have a a movie that it gives everyone sort of an escape to the movie theater for a couple hours watching a guy swing around new york city a, a movie centered in new york city mm-hmm. where you have very pointedly that scene later on with the uh, you know this is new york you mess with one of us you mess yeah. with all of us with just like yeah. a real rallying moment for fans I, I how much of this movie's success at the time do you think is owed to just the fact that people really needed a movie like this at that point
1: yeah, I I mean, I think a great deal of it. I literally just got goosebumps when you said that as nerdy as that is. Like that yeah. moment in the movie is is so great and it it's probably strange for like kids now to hear about, you know, what the world was like then, but it really it it was just we all really needed each other in a way that mm-hmm. feels strange to talk about since we're going through so many horrific things now and Kind of the world isn't really responding exactly the same way that it did then, right. but it was just a lot of like everybody was wearing their "I Love New York" shirts, and it was just it. It was good to celebrate the perseverance of New York, the character of New York, and it, just kind of everybody rallied behind it.
0: Yeah, and it and it fits this material because Spider Man is so clearly a New York based street level superhero. Yeah. That it it fits this tone. It's not like it's shoehorned in. When you get to the, I think it's the third one, there's like these really egregious shots of him swinging in front of the American flag and all that. And we're like, oh boy. But it makes sense for a Spider-Man <laughs> film for New York to feel like a character. This movie gets that right. The sequel gets that right. You have the, the scene in the, we're not going to get in the second one really here, yeah. but. The second one, the thing on the subway where everybody's standing up for him to, in front of Doc Ock. So, so I think it fits the material as well. And that's another thing, which when we when we talk about No Way Home briefly later on, that I feel like the Marvel, the MCU movies never really kind of embraced that same way, mm-hmm. that that New yeah. York is is a part of Spider-Man as much as yeah. the, as much as the powers. And yeah. I think this movie, you know, really captures that. And I think it's it's kind of a, a, a important to its success.
1: It is. It definitely is. This is, in in my opinion, this is peak Peter Parker slash Spider Man, both together. I, as much as I love what Tom Holland does, and he's fantastic, and his stunts are amazing, and he's adorable. Like, have we ever seen him take a picture like this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this this is this is my Spider Man, like, and not just because I was a fifteen year old girl yeah. who was like, oh my god, Tobey Maguire, so cute.
0: <laughs> but, no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's yeah, it 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 feels quintessential, like like this character. It feels like the best, whatever that means in in the internet these days, the best representation of this okay. character. I know, I know, you know, I just I was just on, uh, you know, mutual friend David Rosen's show, piecing it together, and we yeah. we talked about the Batman, and I was on there saying how there's no real correct take on Batman. He's been done so many different ways, so many different styles. Adam West, pow, bam, kind of the deal (laughs) too. Now Pattinson, super emo Batman. And I feel like those are both valid. Spider-Man, there is to me sort of a template of what Spider-Man is supposed to feel like. The movies can go darker or lighter or whatever, but Spider-Man has a kind of set personality and tone to a degree in a way that a lot of other superheroes don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Peter Parker is so much a part of who Spider-Man is, right? And you know, the, he's he's a specific person, he's a specific character, and and the, this is in again, in my opinion, and you can at me it's the truest and most accurate form of him.
0: Yeah, I agree. Which is ironic too, because this movie is not precious about taking liberties with the comics when it makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. And
0: they're the genetically engineered, not radioactive spider, right. like we said, organic webbing. He is, he, you know, he he lives next door to, to Mary Jane. She doesn't like move in suddenly and just kind of help heal him after Gwen Stacy, you know, Gwen Stacy's death or any, like the the order of things. Gwen Stacy comes in this franchise way later than Mary Jane Watson, for example. <laughs> like there yeah. are, there's, if this came out now, people would be bitching about that oh, pre release. Sure. But I think at this point, people are just like, oh, Spider Man on screen. Yeah. <laughs> God, finally. You know, it was. Yeah. It wasn't. I, I. think that. Do you think ramy's decisions there? Do you think? Uh, do you think it works? The fact that he does change certain aspects of Spider-Man's history and mythology, uh, and then I want to get into the the Peter MJ relationship here because I've seen there's a lot of there's a lot of takes on on Mary Jane Watson in the, in these movies, and I I think I, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I. I think the changes that he makes work in the context of the movie. I think none of it feels like a betrayal of the character. It just feels like one way to kind of present things. So I, I think it all works. I mean, he's got he's got enough of the necessary Peter. And Spidey things going on that we can kind of we can let him tweak things a little bit <laughs> and and I also I think the change specifically he makes with MJ that he's kind of grown up next door to her you know kind of uh, maybe slightly obsessed with her and just she does, has never paid attention to him never noticed him because her life's kind of all over the place and also she's a pretty popular girl and you know he was invisible so I think the change there I think it builds to high school romance that becomes an adult romance in a much more logical way than just this woman walks in and just like you know things go into slow mo and the music plays and heats in love. Like I right. like that he well, was like six years old
0: loving her. <laughs> it, in the comics, I I believe and again not familiar with the with all the comics so that that would be insane. He <laughs> <laughs> he I don't have that kind of time. He she just swoops in after when Stacy's passing and literally says you just hit the jackpot, Tiger. <laughs> I think, well, upon their first meeting. And I, I feel like this has a lot more sort of built-in sentimentality to it. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe maybe who didn't grow up with these films look back and like, oh, the MJ Peter stuff is so annoying or whatever. Because I, I feel like a lot of people don't respond to that now. In fact, I've seen a lot of people online who are like, oh, Kristen Dunst, MJ is, is a terrible person and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, is she? Why? Again, I don't understand. Like, what are your, do you, do you think do, as a, as a woman and a fan of this character, do you think MJ works in this, in this iteration of the story? Like, cause I can see some people being like, you know, she, I don't know. I don't get it actually, to be honest with you. Like I keep trying to break it down. Like the, the female leads in these movies, I think are always really interesting and they're always really dynamic. I think the trap that Kirsten Dunst ends up in, in a lot of these, these three films uh, is she's always ends up being the damsel in distress in the third act, kidnapped by yeah. the villain, etc. And that gets kind of tiresome by the time you get to the third one. You're like, oh, of course, yeah, get to yeah, the- there she is Venom, there. Venom and Sandman, <laughs> kidnap <laughs> spoilers, kidnap MJ, yeah. and that because that's they like, just studied the same villain playbook as the other guys. So it's what are what are your like do you think MJ works in this movie? Do you understand those concerns or or where do you where do you land on that? Because I've always thought and that's I'm a sap when it comes to this kind of thing. I've always thought their story is really sweet and endearing. You have that scene with them in the in the backyards. And, you know, she obviously is like in a, in a kind of abusive household with, a, with an alcoholic father dating the popular guy because it seems like that's what she feels like she should be doing. Not necessarily because she feels this cosmic connection to Flash Thompson. <laughs> who we should say Joe Mangianello like way before Magic Mike and all that other stuff and and you know I, I think that they have that conversation about their future and she's sort of taken aback by how Peter just blindly believes in her oh you can light up Broadway and all that stuff does that work for you or are you sitting there rolling your eyes because I I you know I'm I will I it always worked for me but I'm I'm a, I'm a pushover for that kind of stuff
1: it works for me it works so hard I just I also I love I love Kirsten Dunst. I, you know, I grew up watching her in movies and just thinking she was the coolest ever. And I think that she perfectly nails like... I mean, she looks like her. So of course, she's like the popular girl in school. But she's not, you know, the mean popular girl. She's still, you know, obviously, like you said, like living in a not great situation. So she's not not got it all together. She's like, she's here down to earth pretty popular girl. And, you know, we see her struggle when she goes to the city and she, you know, things aren't as easy as she hoped they would be when she's like idealizing it as a kid. But I think, I think that she works in this. I think she works in the full franchise, but I will admit that she's like doing things a little bit dirty in Spider-Man 2 where Mm. it's very much that she's like playing Peter. Like, come on then. Come on. Show up for me. But in the meantime, letting somebody else propose to her. Like,
0: really?
1: I, I don't think what you're doing there is okay. But I guess if you kind of pull out, you know, back the camera up a little bit and you see like, well, think about everything that MJ and Peter have been through. And like, maybe. I, I think it's also. You don't hold her to your normal standard.
0: Right. I think it's also a little bit of what she's doing here where yeah. she feels a connection with Peter, but he's not getting it like, like, he, you know, uh, him and and uh, Harry say at one point, like, yeah. he never made a move. Like, it's like, nope, he's just sitting he on didn't. his ass. And, and you know, even if she, even if there's something there, he's not pursuing it. So right. she's part of her is like, well, I feel connection to Peter, but also nothing's happening there. So I guess I'm going to get engaged to this guy. He seems nice yeah. enough <laughs> and whatever, you know, so she's just kind of like going through the motions of what she feels like she should be doing with, uh what is it, John Jameson in that one, like just like in this one with Flash. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it feels consistent with her behavior, even though, yeah, it's it's also like that's not really fair to John Jameson, I guess, is more than anything. I know. Uh, that, that's <laughs> it's really just using bad
1: in that one. But no, I mean, we see, we see the house she grows up in and, you know, the situation she's living in. It's completely understandable that she wants, you know, somebody who's going to show up for her and be stable for her and, and be reliable. And as much as Peter wants to be that for her, she knows he can't in this situation. It's, it, I was crushed when he's like, I can't do this and walks away from her at the end of the <laughs> movie. I was like, oh, 15-year-old me was like, what would I do? Oh my God. Like I was, I, I I, love it though. I love the tragedy of Peter Parker. I, I think it's it's perfect. And I, I love how it works with her. I think she does a great job in this. And yes, it sucks that she's just damseled at the end of every single one of them. And is just bait and just falling off a building and hanging off this and that. But that's not her fault. There's only so much she could do with screaming and falling.
0: Right, right. And and with each iteration of this franchise, they've tried to sort of smooth that over. You had Emma Stone being a little more involved in the amazing Spider-Man's, and then now Zendaya's like the second the woman in the chair, basically, I guess, <laughs> in, in in the in No Way Home. So that they, they've tried to do a little bit more with the the female leads in those movies. But yeah, no, I, I think what's cool and what works about these characters and why I think part of the reason that the these films age so well and why they remain sort of the standard bearer of the Spider-Man franchise for us and for a lot of people who grew up with them is mm-hmm. that the, the the main three character like strip away this the superpower strip away the villains this these movies these three movies are about Peter Parker Mary Jane Watson and Harry Osborn Mm-hmm. And that diamond their whole deal, <laughs> like as individuals, yeah. as as friends, as lovers, as whatever. And it's about that core three person friendship and how it changes and, in, in, you know, ebbs and flows and their own insecurities. So Peter is obviously great power, big, great power and great responsibility, et cetera. The weight of being Spider-Man, carrying the world on his shoulders. MJ coming from this broken home trying to make something of herself get validation by succeeding as an actress, as, as a model, and then an actress, et cetera. Harry trying to escape the, the shadow of his father, trying to kind of prove himself to first his father, who prefers his friend over him and clearly wants to adopt Peter and cast <laughs> Harry aside, which we'll get to. And, and then later, literally haunted by his father's ghost, <laughs> Avenge Me style. So it's like, I, I think that 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 dynamic is really why these movies work as well as they are is that it's character based sort of emotional beats and then yes built on top of that all the super heroics and stuff and we get that right from the from the beginning in that field trip sequence up front you get sort of a microcosm of their dynamic including flash going on while the scientist is like here's what all here's all the cool stuff that spiders do spider-man might do some of this stuff later pay attention so it's like Remy sort of, you know, a uh, sleight of hand, like, here are these characters doing this thing and also get ready for some spider action. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really cool. And that's how he's able to sort of balance the character stories with the, you know, the the spectacle and all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the trio of Pete, Harry and MJ is, I think the strength in this trilogy is that they are all actual characters i mean right. yes again mj gets damseled it's not fair she never speaks to another woman except for like occasionally aunt may about like setting the table
0: <laughs> like they don't <laughs> there's like they, there's like uh there's like a vanessa ferlito i think plays another actress in her play in the second one yeah. who's like oh you seem jittery tonight and she's like oh you yeah. never know who's coming and so, talking about peter but so it doesn't obviously yeah. doesn't even pass the Bechtel no. test for whatever no. that's worth
1: <laughs> no but at least mj is a character you know she is much more of a character than the Gwen Stacy we get in Spider-Man 3, who is like four different versions of a character thrown into one. But, you know, I I think that Kirsten Dunst is, is great as MJ. I think that she's she's just like the coolest high school girl around. Like, it worked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to compare again, you know, Kirsten Dunst, MJ, to the other female leads in these films, I think as much as, yes, she gets damseled, she also has her own life, her own desires. Like we know what she's, her interests, her passions are in. Yeah. Are I feel like we get some of that of Gwen Stacy in the other, in the, the amazing movies, but to kind of counterpoint with Zendaya's MJ, it takes a trilogy before we learn that character's full name. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what she does, what her interest is outside of, I like Peter Parker. And Spider-Man. And that's about, you know what I mean? Like, she has no interiority. MJ, this MJ, we're aware she wants to be an actress. She wants to do this. She's got a, a, we know what her family life is like. Like, I don't know what Zendaya is. MJ, I have no idea what she does when she's not in Peter Parker's orbit. I feel like she stands inactive like an NPC until Peter Parker (laughs) approaches. And she's like, oh, Peter. (laughs) There you are. I've been looking everywhere. So I I think that just to to get that out of the way, because everybody's like, Zendaya's MJ is such a powerful female character. I'm like, I guess, but also what is, what is, what is her deal? Like we never find out. Anyway, we're getting, getting, and you can tell I'm getting, I'm ready to mildly rant when we get to the no way home (laughs) kind of portion of this conversation. But yes, this superhero movie works because surprise, surprise, it's about characters. And I think that's, yeah. That's why it's, it's, uh, it has resonated so much with, with us, at least. And also for me, Peter's story feeling like an outside, like I was that kid in high school. Like I was the sort of on the outskirts being like, oh, the popular girl, she'll never notice me. She didn't, mm-hmm. spoilers, but it worked out. But yeah, there's a lot to, to connect with, even just in the first few minutes of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't even mentioned Willem Dafoe yet. So,
1: oh my god,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I literally have in my notes: Dafoe is a freaking beast in this movie. <laughs> thoughts on Willem Dafoe as as Norman Osborn? Clearly, such a strong villain that twenty years later they're like, I don't know, let's just bring Willem Dafoe back as Green Goblin <laughs> because that just worked so much and people love it. What are what what are your I guess general thoughts on his performance in this in this film? and uh, and what he brings to this character because he's so much fun to watch in this damn thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's incredible. He's so, so good in this. He commits to every single moment. He's just, God, the The scene where he's arguing with himself in the mirror is, oh, it is so good. It's,
0: <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Balan's Smeagol and Gollum style too, which yeah. was the same year. The Two Towers yeah. was the same year that this came out and you're like, Two of the best movies of 2002 have the villain having a conversation with themselves <laughs> in a mirror, essentially, or in a reflection in a, in a water or whatever it was. But yes, yeah, it's it's the he's the the again this is the archetype for every other Spider-Man villain that has come after. And I, what the cool thing is here, I think, is that Willem Dafoe is a Oscar-nominated, multi-Oscar-nominated actor. He's in like these small independent productions. He'll work with Wes Anderson. Then he'll turn around and, and make a Spider-Man movie. And he has, he's no no pretensions about it. Like he, he uh. in fact, he, when he was signing on for No Way Home, his big thing is I want to come in and ha- actually have a real role. I want to be involved in the, in the fight choreography. Like he didn't want to just come and be like, hi, it's me, Peter, and then disappear. <laughs> he wanted to be a part of it and drive the story, which he does. And I, I love that, that. Like you said, he commits full on to to this yeah. character. And you get enough of a sense of Norman Osborn being kind, you know, kind of a dick, kind of an yeah. asshole, but also not irredeemable, at least at first. You know, and I and I think yeah. that's that's key. You sort of sympathize with him. He's trying, he he's frustrated with his son, but he obviously is passionate about, you know, his work. He actually takes a liking to Peter and things like that. So you win when the it's the classic Spider-Man villain arc you know, overzealous scientist experiments on themselves. <laughs> and then before you know, it has, has has eight, eight legs attached to eight limbs attached to him or whatever the line is from Jonah Jameson. Uh, but yes, it's, I, I love that. I love what he brings to this. And he, he is so much fun. You get a lot of little touches with him as well with the goblin scenes, arguing with himself, even little details. Like when he gets strapped into that machine and he says, Oh, that's cold. I, I always, yeah. I always clock that as that's, Probably was something that William Defoe just said on the day, but Raimi left it in, and it makes that character. It's the little beats like that. It makes him feel relatable. It makes it feel real. That he's like, oh, reacting to the to the, the cold metal on his skin, things like that. I, I love the journey that that character goes on. It's just, yeah, he's so fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's a real character as well. He gets, you know, we we understand where he's coming from. We, I mean, I was watching it again tonight. And, you know, the conversation, like, he's being railroaded at his own company. Like, sure, his reaction is, you know, wildly inappropriate as,
0: you know, (laughs) murdering murdering all the board (laughs) members.
1: Not great. Wouldn't recommend. But they are doing him wrong. Like, he, he didn't just decide, like, oh, I got juiced up and now I kill people. Like, he is angry at people for things that they did to him and choices they made and decisions they're making that will affect his life and his livelihood, regardless of the fact that he is a real person. Like, they don't care. The board is just yeah. like, yeah, the deal is you won't be part of the company anymore. Like, huh? <laughs> like, his reaction is only slightly over the top. The murder, for sure, over the top. The yelling at <laughs> right. the
0: board Reason. you know how much I sacrificed? That Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. It's and the movie establishes up front there was one trial that went wrong obviously that's the one that kind of comes to bear on norman but the and the side effect was insanity so right out the gate the movie is is leaving him off the leash yeah. like when he becomes goblin he's not really he's really not kind of in control of his actions and i think we'll we'll touch on that when we get into where no way home picks up that yeah. character's arc which i think is is really smart that it's he is he is afflicted by By this formula that he tested on himself, like he doesn't mm-hmm. choose to and you see him sort of struggling with that as this goes on. He doesn't even know that he did anything at first. He has okay. to sort of confront himself essentially and and kind of come to terms with with the reality of what's going on every time that he blacks out that he's going on a murderous rampage. Like he doesn't it's not a hundred percent his choice. he's his emotions are driving what the goblin's actions, right. but but he's not saying like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Let's go do that. He's in yeah. agony, even even later on when when Goblin is his heart. Osborne, we go for it. <laughs> you know, we just we go after his heart. He's like, tell me how he's like desperate, like freaking out that he's he has no control of the situation. So I guess just yeah, just tell me what I have to do so that yeah. you get off my back, kind of thing.
1: I mean, he is devastated to find out that Spider Man is Peter. He because he loves Peter. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to have to go to, you know, war with this kid who he likes more than his own son. You know, he's yeah. he's so upset about that. And then he's like, yeah, we can work together. Like it's it's just yeah. He's a he's a real character. And I, I think I I don't even want to talk about the third Spider-Man, but I think in the first two, that's what Raimi does so well with his villains, is there's so much humanity left to them still, even when they are. Absolutely, the bad guy. He right. keeps that sense of humanity with them, and I think we get those are our favorite villains in other superhero movies that that have come since. Is you know everybody loves Loki because we understand him, we get his pain, so that's why people like Loki. It, it's something that that started here with caring about the villain.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not they are they are real people with motivations. They're not not to rip into the other the other guys but they're not a giant monstrous blob of cg like we get with a lot of the dc villains like even dark side as badass as dark sided is he's a he's a big cg alien guy like yes we have that with thanos but we get a lot more explanation for his backstory what his how he has to sacrifice you know and then you have people like killmonger where you're like Mm -hmm. i don't again kind of what you were just saying with norman osborne like Maybe don't murder people, but also I get it. Like I understand why you feel you you need to take action, why you feel scorned yeah. and mistreated, and all of that. Like obviously, it's there's a lot of real life applications with Killmonger in the in that film. But yeah, but yeah, it, and and the other thing that Raimi gets and why he's so perfect for for this property is that it, it the horror elements of it having a having another human, another creature, another voice in your head, essentially taking over whether it's a literal voice in your head here or a, a little, a chip in the back of your head with these <laughs> mechanical arms telling you what to do. Like there's an element sort of of psychological and or physical kind of body horror mm-hmm. to these two, those first two films, Sandman and well, that's the whole other, that's a whole other issue. I have much more <laughs> complicated feelings about Spider-Man 3 than 1 and 2, obviously, as do most people. But But like that's the thing here. And he implants that into this movie with, so many of the transitions from a Norman Osb from a, a goblin focused scene, there's always like that jump scare. Yeah. There's like a, where where Harry walks in, is like, Dad, what happened? It's like, oh, last night. And it's like, oh, and flashes back to him in the in the chamber. Or like there's a couple other moments where it's like, Wake up, little spider, and it's like him jumping at the camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. Things like that. That it 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 puts you on edge. Minus the the the, the like Power Ranger style costume that. <laughs> you know maybe hasn't aged as well i i personally think i don't know if you're familiar with the the animatronic mask that they had made for this character but there is an animatronic goblin mask that looks the it the, the basically it's the idea is that his face turns into the goblin and and that's what what we see not not a a helmet essentially so that's i think would have been a more interesting way to go with that but but yeah, there's horror elements inherent in this character, and I That's think me sure. obviously coming from the Evil Dead movies is is the perfect fit to kind of bring that to this to this film.
1: Yeah, yeah, he he balances the darkness so well in this movie, and you know, like you said, with the, all of the jump scares with the goblin, the the scream when he's pretending to be the old woman, like all of it are so perfectly times with the Danny Elfman score and just like the aggressive strings that just hit every time we get a goblin jump scare. It's, ugh, it's just perfect. I love it. I,
0: it. I do like, I always find it amusing the fact that he has Spider-Man, knocks him out, takes him up to a roof for a little chat. and <laughs> <laughs> just hangs out. just chilling with Spider-Man. Well, just as, as a quick aside before we move on. Well, why do you think he does that? Do you think it's just arrogance? <laughs> do you think he's just like, ah, this guy's not a threat? Look at how awesome I am. Because I kind of feel that's what it might be. Because if he if thought Spider-Man really could do real things for him, I'm pretty sure he could have just killed him then.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, the movie should end there when he's like, sleep, and then he should just kill him. <laughs> like, that's the end of Spider-Man. There's no more yeah. movies. There's no more anything. The movie just ends abruptly. And like, an hour 10 in yeah it doesn't it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense I, I i guess if i've got to come up with a reason other than we need a third act is i've right. got to chalk it up <laughs> to there's something left in norman that is like maybe let's not murder this person just a little bit of humanity there that, that's all I can kind of come up with it, it does seem really silly that he's like okay bye
0: <laughs> and, and he like sidles up to him like oh yeah. let me tell you something yeah you and yeah. I are not so different it's like that classic kind of comic book deal of like let me tell you my plan and why you should join me and right. I'm giving you a chance before I kill you yeah yeah and it's even even the, the comic book touches in this movie mm. again because Raimi gets how that is kind of goofy when when they're fighting at the World Unity Festival, which is like about halfway through the movie and he's like smashing him into things and, and he messes with his glider and then Goblin takes off. He's like, oh, we'll meet again, Spider-Man or whatever. You're like, yes, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon come to life. Exactly. That's it should be a little goofy in the right moments.
1: Totally. And it's it just it be he's keeps the humor with the Goblin. Like, even when he's about to die, he's just like, oops, somebody <laughs> he realized we gonna yes. and kill him. Like, it's just, there. he never lets go fully of the silliness of it, but not in a way that takes away from the weight of what you're watching. You know, it's, it's comical in a way. And, and I love that, that that is maintained throughout. When the, when the glider, just like you said, when it's like spinning out of control as he's leaving, it's, it's so funny. It's, It's great, like it. I love it. I I love it all. (laughs)
0: And and the the other thing too, since we're we're talking on a goblin story, is that the this is obviously an origin story for Spider Man, which had never been done before. So we give it full full credit to go full steam ahead to go with (laughs) Uncle Ben's death and all. You know, it's not it's not like now if they did that, everybody's like, yeah, we know his Uncle dies, big power. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Like, we get it. Like, this, I think, remains the the template for that. But it's an origin story for Goblin and Harry and the, the Osborn's in the same fashion. Mm-hmm. So you have, throughout this, which, by the way, a movie that is basically, essentially, it, it just two hours. Like, it, well-paced, two hours. It doesn't need to be two and a half, three hours. Like, it's it's tightly edited. Rami doesn't F around. Those Evil Dead movies are usually like 89, 85 minutes or something. <laughs> Yeah. Like he, he's very economical as a filmmaker, but it's, it's their two journeys, Peter and Norman's are almost, almost completely in step with each other every step of the way. Like 15 to 20 minutes in, Peter's kind of brainstorming what by like costume ideas. Meanwhile, the goblin laugh is in like the very next scene. So mm-hmm. Peter's kind of coming into his own as Norman sort of coming into his own as the goblin. We, they kind of intersect at the World Unity Festival. And, and it's just like, the 50-minute mark, I think, or so is where Spider-Man makes his debut. And so it, the movie takes its time developing both of the stories on a parallel track and, and and evenly pacing itself so it doesn't feel like he takes forever to suit up, but it also doesn't feel like they rush anything, Does that if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, no, completely. Because, I mean, the way the movie is presenting itself, whether this is like exact by a calendar or not is that the day Peter gets bit is the night that Norman becomes the goblin is that they both changed overnight but they both take time to realize what's happened to them they're both kind of on a learning curve of who am I now what's going on with me and Norman is much more separated from his journey because it takes him a while to even realize he is the goblin but Peter doesn't know he doesn't he doesn't immediately have a goal as spider-man he Mm -hmm. has the powers and then has to figure out what he should do with them versus norman is just trying to escalate his experiment and then is lost to insanity he's got a purpose right away it's revenge it's taking over it's all the power it's being in charge and taking back from the people who tried to wrong him. Peter has to get to figure out what am I supposed to do with the fact that I can jump across buildings and swing through the city? Like, what happens now? And so, yeah, you're right. It doesn't feel like it takes too long for us to get to that point. We get to see him swinging through the city before he's got his <laughs> costume. So we still get it. Yep. And the way he builds to understand his powers is is so entertaining and funny. And I I really don't feel like there's another movie that does it as well, except for uh, DC Shazam. I think the the montage of Zachary Levi learning <laughs> how to how to use his powers that right. is the only other movie that I think has an entertaining like kind of montage power growing scene uh, right. that compares to this one, and you know. He does yell Shazam in this too. So.
0: He does. I was going to say that. <laughs> so there's a connection. <laughs> no. He, yeah. It's it's the the origin of this character in a way that we had never seen because we hadn't really ever seen. And then you know to sort of jump again to DC. Just I feel like Batman Begins is is takes a similar approach in that it takes him like about an hour to really yeah. suit up as Batman. But to your point, it's not. It feels more measured and and not nearly as breezy or crowd pleasing of a journey to, for him to get to that point as as something like Shazam, like you were saying. Like yeah. when you see Toby Maguire have the the fight with Flash in school, and then oh. sort of realize, oh, I have little hairs on sticking out on my fingers. <laughs> I bet you I can climb. They're to put together. I was bit by a spider. Wait a minute. Maybe something's happened here, and starts to climb up, and starts hooting and hollering while he's jumping on rooftops, figuring out how to trigger the webs. The or again, like we said already, the organic webs, which is a, a change from the comic books, but works for this world. I and it's something that they address in No Way Home, which was yeah. really fun to to for them <laughs> to, to talk about that. It, it it doesn't feel like the movie's kind of spinning its wheels because you're on that journey with him. You saw, you you're you're invested in his evolution and I, And I love how the movie has a a not so subtle way of just, you know, you using the metaphor of his powers as at ad- adolescence that, like, you know, Uncle Ben is like, oh, raging hormones. They never change. That he's just <laughs> in his room doing experiments as a teenage boy and just kind of like coming into his own. and and I, I think that that's it's a really smart take on on this character and and having that sort of that having having. Adolescence be sort of the real life analog for discovering who you are and your purpose and all of that, and I think that's that's a really that's a really accessible way to make Spider Man feel universal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's why so many people respond so positively to Spider Man is because we we love high school Pete, we love college Pete, we love you know sad struggling Pete. It's it's all relatable because he's dealing with the very human side of the world, as well as his whole secret identity. So we, this movie takes a long time, as far as the amount of time we're covering in Pete's life. You know, we don't skip from Uncle Ben dying to just, you know... And, the, and then the next day, he was a superhero. No, it took <laughs> months. He grieved. He graduated from high school without his uncle. He was sad. Like, this has impacted his life going forward. Like, it's... It's paced well as a film, but it also goes through the pacing of the characters' lives in a way that doesn't make anything feel rushed or contrived.
0: And it feels fresh because we've never seen it on the big screen before. Yeah. Which is, which is sort of the fatal flaw that I have with The Amazing Spider-Man, where they have Martin Sheen essentially doing the exact same thing for half mm. the movie, while the lizard is kind of going on. It's like it's exactly the same thing with the lizard instead <laughs> of the goblet. And you know, I, I, obviously, people are over the moon about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man now, and he's great in those movies. But those movies try to do this exact same thing, but word it slightly. It's like you know, the 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 when the, that meme or whatever, where you see two posters or two like shots by side by side, and they're almost there. One is clearly copying the other, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, here, just to copy my notes, just make things a little different, and it's yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> It feels like that. It's like the, first, the Amazing Spider-Man is, the first half of it is basically a remake of this. And I think that's, that's the big problem with that movie is that you don't need to do that again when you did it this well. That, yeah. that film should have opened, oh, Uncle Ben's dead, I'm sad. 10 minutes in, I'm Spider-Man. Not yeah. an hour of, of, you know, when great power comes great responsibility, the carjacking and he lets him go and all of that because it was done so pitch perfectly here. No one needs to see that. Basically, ever again, unless it's a different medium or something. Like, there's no reason to like. How are you going to improve it? It's it's streamlined for your for your entertainment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the this franchise really has so many you know favorable circumstances behind it. Like we talked about earlier, you know, coming the movie premiere coming right on the heels of nine eleven, and this being the first time that we're getting a cinematic Spider Man like. These are all huge benefits to the franchise. Like it for sure benefited from that. But it also, it is that good. (laughs) Like Raimi is killing it. And yeah, I mean, it's... I I have gone back and watched all of these over time. Over Honestly, just over the past couple of years, just because I didn't have really much to do. And I I even watched Spider-Man 2 not that long ago, just a couple months ago before No Way Home was coming out. It was just like, is it that good still? And I watched it again. I was like, it might be better than I remember. <laughs> and, and this one too, I was like, I don't I don't know. My 15-year-old goggles. No, there were no 15-year-old goggles. I just knew a great movie when I saw one. Like, yeah. it, it is. It, it holds up. Like, I do feel like the end of it is a bit rushed. Like, just all of a sudden, we're, you know... It, the big fight, it's the end. But right. I never really felt that too much before and I'm wondering if the scale of the fight just in comparison to everything I've watched over the past 20 years is kind of what left me with like, wait, that's the end of it? That it's over? Right. Because...
0: No every, beams in the sky?
1: Exactly. Every other finale has involved, you know, the the fate of humanity. And this right. is just two guys fighting in a, a bricks and brick buildings. Like, there's they they resolve the stakes. And now it is just two men fighting. Right, and, exactly. And so it does feel a bit abrupt when it's like, oh, and now he's dead? Oh, 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 funeral. Oh, this is the end. Oh, okay. But the whole movie is so quality that I'm, all, I'm almost like, well, that's okay. It's over. Now, can we watch
0: exactly. the second one.
1: <laughs> 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 Let's go watch the second one now. It gets even better.
0: Yeah, and Raimi, he brings his his sort of penchant for practical effects here like you see you can you could tell that he tries to do as much with practically as you can when your character climbs on walls and swings (laughs) around the city and and i think for the most part like even the 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 lunch tray scene where he catches the like that was done that was done in real life with with like 40 something takes or whatever it was to get that right and i and i think that's part of why he his focus was again like we were saying it's a character focused movie it's not about like the spectacle it's about this man and this man and their journeys of self discovery for good or for ill essentially yeah. so the fact that it boils down to this like really kind of off honestly kind of grisly like fistfight mm. yeah like it's it gets pretty intense and then, and the, some of the violence in this movie is to the point where I, I'm like, what age would I let my daughter watch this? She's five now. This is not for her yet. We have a it's few more years. <laughs> like it gets really violent. He gets impaled on the glider, like right above, like basically at the waist. It's It, it gets really graphic at points for for that film, for this, you know, for a Spider-Man movie, I guess. Yeah. And so them having sort of a like brawl and spider-man being that close to death literally just by getting squashed by goblin not like a, a building falling on him or anything crazy i think it 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 takes that it, it grounds peter's story again in in another in a in a way that you know that it opens so universally so that we're like this is just a guy yeah he's got powers he's got it we even get his suit blasted off of his face for that final section there so they were like remember this is peter parker the guy you saw at the beginning trying to catch the boat the uh the, the boat the bus like this is him still this is where he is now and he's about to freaking die like so, yeah. you feel the the stakes in that moment, and I I, I do think it works. The visual effects, I, I think this was nominated but didn't win because it lost the two towers for the Oscar. Mostly holds, mostly holds up. There <laughs> there are some shots that even like a decade or a decade, ten or fifteen years ago, I watched like. The one shot of of Peter chasing the carjacker, going up the building, and you're like, those are not Tobey Maguire's eyes; those are CG guys' eyes. Like, <laughs> and and it look because it looks like a video game. What are your thoughts on on the the visual effects of this film and how they've aged or or not aged great?
1: I I think for the most part, it it holds up. There's there's a few there's definitely a few janky parts. I think when he is first discovering that he can. <laughs> leap tall buildings. The the kind of the background behind him, the compositing doesn't look doesn't look that great. There was a few times I kind of noticed things where I was like, uh, I I don't know about that. But most of it's pretty good. You know, MJ falling off the building, of course, looks very silly because why is she yeah. like somehow lying flat, but also tumbling? <laughs> but the rest of it, for the most part, it, it still works. Even the the very end is it still looks great. I think a lot of like the in-street motion, the technology they were using to actually move the camera that way—I, I think it still works. And you know, it—it, it, I didn't out loud groan. I just sort of cringed a little at a few parts. So, <laughs> pretty good for twenty years.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, once he's in suit, I think it's it's a very strong success rate. It's yeah. when he's in like the, the kind of handmade, just like. He makeshift spider suit for the wrestling match and, and that kind of stuff before he's suited up fully. Because once you have a character who's fully encased in 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 costume, I think it's a lot easier to suspend disbelief and be like, oh, that's Spider-Man doing his thing, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, you don't you don't necessarily uh, your mind just doesn't necessarily try and, and apply real life physics to Spider-Man yeah. because he's not supposed to move like a normal person because he's Spider-Man. That's kind of the whole idea. So I, I think that once once you get past the opening <laughs> section of him, especially pre-suited up, I think it, I think it mostly works. Same thing with Goblin. Like there's a shot where Goblin's on the gl- glider and looks very, kind of early two thousand CG. And then two <laughs> seconds later, there's there's a I think like an can over the shoulder shot of Goblin kind of hovering over. Spider-Man kind of chasing him down, shooting guns at him. And that's clearly a, a, an actual glider on a rig with a camera behind it, kind of following it down, you know, things like that, where when he can, he tries to, he tries to do it for real. And I, and I think it mostly works with the exception of a a few shots like that and the presence of Macy Gray, Chad Kroger on on the, on the credits, like this, this almost feels like it could have come out five years ago and not 20. And I yeah. think that's that's a, that's an impressive thing to say about a superhero. Movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think I think it's like you said that the costuming when they're in costume and the use of practical effects. I I think it really it lends itself well to kind of suspending your disbelief just enough that you can you know not watch for the lines and well, what, is he on a wire now or is that not even really right. what's going on here? I think that there's, you know, Raimi and his crew did enough to earn the belief when you're watching it. You know, whenever Defoe is actually in that goblin suit, that's, that's a real suit. <laughs> that thing yeah. took him like yeah. half an hour to put on. And I think that's actually something that's better in this than in all of the Marvel costumes in the movies now is you see those set photos and you're like, half that suit wasn't there. Like they're right. not even wearing the full costume.
0: It's like Robert thing? Downey Jr. in a t-shirt and then they CG yeah. the suit on him after basically. Yeah.
1: It's and it there's like all kinds of things that I think are just like kind of goofy with the Marvel costume, like the whole vesting that like everybody's doing so that they can right. move their shoulders. But like this this works. And yeah, it's silly and he's got a weird goblin mask and he's crazy horrible yellow eyes.
0: <laughs> Very <laughs>
1: dramatic, but it's real. It's really there when it's there. And so I
0: think it works. Yeah. Yeah. You be- you'll believe a man can swing uh, yeah. through buildings. Uh, that's uh, that's a, I had a different connotation for a second. Which is not what I meant. <laughs> but it, but it, it, you're right. It, it feels, it, the effects, I think, mostly work. And it feels like to, to the Spider-Man franchise, what Superman the movie is to Superman. Yeah. In that it's yeah. it has that mythic quality. It lays everything out from, okay, you want to believe, you want to see how a guy gets his powers, how, where he comes from. This is the story. Let's never touch it again. Yeah. <laughs> For the one and only time, Uncle Ben, and he gets yeah. shot. And then yeah, all that. So I think, yeah, it it really works. I want to run through, because I, I have still some notes, but not nearly as much as I did at the beginning here, obviously. I want to run through some of the other uh, supporting players here who haven't given as much attention to. Cliff Robertson, first of all, as Uncle Ben, oh. I so good. Like he 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 brings so much to really not not that much screen time he has. Maybe you a handful of scenes yeah. uh, before he gets shot, and the emotion that he has, especially in the in the car scene, yeah. is it, it it works like it feels so like it's just a guy that's really trying. So keep his family together. He's been laid off, you know, recently looking for jobs, feeling outdated. Yeah, He's what 67 years old. He's too old for computers or whatever. <laughs> Everything, even the computers need analyzing, which I thought was just a great, great little touch of that's cute. See Uncle Ben looking at the want ads again to make it feel real, to make it feel like these are real characters. They didn't just exist now because there's a move. There's a camera on them, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think about it, that's kind of. Something that we get in this movie is we get scenes of our ancillary characters that do not have Peter Parker in them. We meet Ben mm-hmm. and May without Peter in the room, and we see how loving they are and how she's like trying to cheer him up, but also doesn't want to, you know, deal with his bullshit. Like they're just adorable <laughs> immediately. and we we get to watch them kind of interact about him so they are real characters so that when he does die, we're not just sad because Peter is sad. We're sad right. because we've known this person now and we know how much he loves his wife and she loves him. And and we it is a tragedy when it happens. And it's not just because Toby Maguire is ugly crying over the camera. Um, it it works.
0: Which he does a lot of as this franchise goes on. My goodness. So, hideous
1: crying, just so ugly. But
0: It's okay, But but Cliff Robertson's performance in that moment as he's laying there, as Uncle Ben's laying there dying, you know, first of all, us watching the movie, knowing Spider-Man's origin, Mm -hmm. knowing that this this shitty teenager is like, you're you're not my father. Stop pretending to be and knowing, oh, boy, this is gonna be the last time you ever see this guy change change your attitude real fast. And, And seeing Uncle Ben's reaction and then Peter finding him on the ground. And him just, like, in tears, like, Peter, like, reaching out to him. It's like, oh, it's so good. You, again, feel what Peter's feeling. So that when he's like, I'm going to go and get this guy, you, you're on board. You're like, hell yeah, go get yeah, that guy. I he killed can. Uncle Ben. Yeah. Like, and I, I again, not to, not to get into one of the sequels too early, the way they retcon Ben's I, death for I, Spider-Man exactly. 3, I, I, I try and pretend that that's not part oh. of the storyline. Um, so I'm... Very curious how that conversation is going to go when I record that episode on Spider-Man 3 because I, I don't hate that movie like some people do, but there are elements of it like the rec kind of Ben I said that, that I part. really hate. It's like, you yeah. know, that you completely undermines the entire origin of this character. Yeah. It's like, it, why, I don't like it. It bothers me. So, yes. okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> it, it, it establishes, because that, that moment, that, that the fact that he could have stopped the guy who went on to do something bad that touched him personally that's, that's the entire ethos of Spider-Man. Like yeah. that is his, that that is what drives him to put that suit on every day and swing around fighting bad guys so that, you know, to prevent people from doing that, to make up for the fact that he could have, could have stopped this tragedy from happening and did not. I, it's it's very upsetting. And then you, you know, he gets back and uh, Aunt May's crying it again, yeah. makes it even worse. So well, you know, these people yeah. have probably been together 40 years or whatever at that point. And, and so that, that leads me into Rosemary Harris again, her and Cliff Robertson are kind of the secret weapons, I think, of this franchise. People don't bring them. We all talk about Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe and In uh, and Kirsten Dunst and, and J.K. Simmons, who we'll get to next. But no one really brings up what Cliff Robertson and, and Rosemary Harris do to ground these movies. Cliff Robertson here and then in the second one, Rosemary Harris has maybe one of my favorite monologue scenes in any superhero movie ever in the sequel which i will i will get to on on the next episode of this show but <laughs> i they they're so good and like we said so believable and she, she they are they are the foundation for peter emotionally and so it only makes sense that they are the foundation for the films in the same way
1: yeah yeah they both are absolutely knocked out of the park in in different ways they they're funny and sweet and when bad things are happening to them it's very, very upsetting. I just, I think they're both phenomenal in this.
0: Absolutely. J.K. Simmons. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't even need to, I don't even know what else to say. J.K. Simmons. Like we were saying, this uh, this movie and this franchise, this iteration of Spider-Man being the standard bearer, Amazing Spider-Man got by, like by just never showing J. Jonah Jameson. I think I think at one point Peter Parker gets a, a text message or something from him. And I guess the implication was we would have seen him in Amazing Spider-Man three. Then when they get to the MCU, they're just like, shit, we can't top it. Let's just get JK back in here. <laughs> just just keep that going. They're like, we we there's even the filmmakers, Kevin Feige, who was involved in these movies back in the day in in a, in a lesser capacity, obviously, than he is now. Even he was like, yeah, we can't we can't do better than that. Let's just Toby, Willem, JK, everybody come back. Not everybody. Yeah. You stay. Stay where you are, James Franco. But everybody else. Yes. <laughs> everybody else. Which it worked out so well for them that Harry didn't survive these movies. So they did. They could yeah. just. Okay, good. We don't have to worry about that. No one was, no one was ever gonna bring the other Harry Osborn back from the other films. So it, they just clean break with the Harry Osborns. But yes, J.K. Simmons, so good in in these movies. She just, I've seen the the screen test for him, and he just had it. From yeah. from the word jump, like he knew exactly what to do with this character, how to lean into how loud and bombastic and over the top <laughs> and and short and and sharp and that that Jameson is. But then at the same time, something that I always really love is those little human moments. Goblin comes in, he grab, he t- catches the cigar, throws it back through the window because he's because he's he's a diva like that. He has to make a, an entrance. <laughs> um, yeah. And then grabs JK's. Uh, see, I almost said JK Simmons because they're interchangeable for me. Yeah, they are. Uh, grabs Jameson. He's like, "Who's who takes the picture of Spider Man? Even in that moment, Jameson doesn't say, like, Peter Parker. He's right over there.
1: Yeah, and I <laughs> you <know>? hate him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hate everybody. That's kind of my thing. No, he, he stands up for Peter Parker. He's like, I don't know who he is. His stuff comes in the mail. I, I love that little moment that you're like, yeah. so this guy is only like mostly. I, I just watched The Princess Bride with my my family this weekend. So he's only mostly a dick, not at yeah. all a dick. And I and I think I, I think it, it adds a little that little moment, that little touch, adds some dimension to J. Jonah Jameson that makes him as much as he feels like he's ripped out of the cartoon and put into live action, it makes him feel like a real person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he is as cartoonish as a real person can be. And he is so funny. His line deliveries ugh, throughout this franchise are just fantastic. He absolutely
0: slays me at every
1: point. He's, oh, he's perfect, like truly perfect.
0: He trusts his barber, which I, I, that is a fun <laughs> line that they have in there. I trust my barber.
1: Yeah, I don't trust anyone.
0: We got a picture <laughs> of Julie Roberts in a thong. We only got a picture of this weirdo. Like all the lines, like I have them like all logged in my permanent memory bank. Yeah. He's so, it's so much fun in this one and and in the next one as well. Let's see. I James Franco is Harry Osborne. Do we have anything to say about that? Like, I feel like now James Franco is sort of persona non grata these days for obvious real life reasons. Yeah. I, I think he's good in this movie for what he has to do, feeling yeah. passed over for Harry or for Peter, kind of giving Harry Osborne the spoiled rich kid, some some you know I I said the word dimension already but I'm gonna we're we're, it's the multiverse There's a lot of dimensions so to make him feel like so so that he's a sympathetic character but not uh, not wholly sympathetic Mm -hmm. because of where he the kind of vengeful place that he ends up but uh, but yeah so thoughts on on James Franco I guess in this
1: yeah I think looking back at it now it Was absolutely perfect casting, and I didn't even know how perfect it was because he is such a douchebag in these movies. And yeah, is pretty perfect. He's even easier to hate as Harry now than you know when I was first watching this back in two thousand and two. And the thing is, like, even though you know we were meant to, you know, feel bad for him a little bit, like his father doesn't really accept him, but like at every point, he's kind of the worst. He like immediately steals Peter's lines to go hit on MJ and just Mm. like, I I just, he's, he sucks. (laughs) So, so James Franco playing such a shitty character is great.
0: It's it's almost (laughs) like he, he is Cyrano de Bergeracking Peter Parker without letting Peter Parker know. (laughs) He's just like, Ooh, that's good. What else Pete? What else you got? I'm going to use yeah. that because you have the, you have the personality and and the wit and the intelligence. And I have the brazenness to be like, guess what? Did you know that, you know, this is the, <laughs> it's a defense mechanism or whatever. I forget. But yes. Yeah. And, and he's slimy, but we also understand why. So it's, yeah. it makes it, it makes him an interesting enough character that we're like, okay. But I, I think he doesn't really come into his own a, a lot more until the second one as well. Yeah. Here he's just kind of, more set dressing for Norman's arc, and then really kind of drives the story a lot more in the second one. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I I think he works in this for for what he has to do. For when like what you said, like like it, it, the James Franco's rep now <laughs> only fuels it more. You're like, ugh, I don't know yeah. about this guy. yeah, like, yeah real exactly. osborne Osborne. Uh, let's see, R I P. Macho Man Randy Savage.
1: Oh On yeah. Some- uh-huh.
0: Who who I thought is is great in this movie. So good in the, in the the sequence that he's in. I think we get a little bit of Spider Man quipping, and that's like the first one I think in this movie where we get where it's he says about his. That's a cute outfit. Did your husband give it to you? Challenging Bonesaw's masculinity. It, do you think that Tobey Maguire's Spider Man is quippy enough? Because I feel like that's one criticism that people like to lay at at his feet. Like, oh, he's supposed to be like you know, trash talk in the villains. And he doesn't really do that as much in his films. Do you think that is a valid criticism or are people just nitpicking at this point?
1: I mean, I think you just have to try and find something that he's not the absolute best at just so you right. can have the debate. Just just so that he, there has to be something so that you can kind of argue because if he was as quippy, then it would be no conversation at all. And what would we do with Twitter? Because right, <laughs> we exactly. couldn't debate the merits of each Spider-Man. What would we do all day? So I, yeah, sure, he could be quippier, but I, I do think it's a, it's a bit
0: nitpicky. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think I think yeah, I think it's it's kind of reaching now for w- yeah, what what doesn't to work find in this. Something exactly. I mean, it's again, it Sam Raimi. What a filmmaker! Like, mm. I, I I listen to. I'm one of many people who have movie podcasts and listen to Blank Check. With Griffin and David, that movie podcast very popular. They're doing Sam Raimi right now, so I'm using that as an opportunity to fill in my like last three on un- bl- three blind spots <laughs> in his filmography. I have a lot of his movies, so I'm yeah. a big fan. Like you cannot argue with his filmmaking prowess at this point, especially when it comes to sci-fi horror geeky stuff like this. Plus, you get Bruce Campbell in a Spider-Man mm. movie, in three Spider-Man movies, <laughs> <Yes>. in fact. <laughs> Just so, repeatedly. like Bruce Campbell, always always a good decision. In my in my opinion. Absolutely. You have him in here. He names him the amazing Spider-Man, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, it's just what a joy. I'm a big Evil Dead fan, as you yeah. know, because I've, I've covered that on this show as well. So <laughs> uh, anytime Bruce Campbell shows up in anything, it, it's like 10% better than it was a minute before. I, I, so I love that that Raimi keeps him around in this film. In, yeah. Even in small cameos, but impactful cameos. Like the... Yeah. The first two again. It's this is going to be the theme of these of this mega series. The first two really work. The third, I have more issues with. But yeah, I, I just seeing him in here is so much fun.
1: He's great in it, and his intensely two thousands Oakleys are amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. We we already mentioned sort of the the cleaning up the city montage. We obviously get a Ugh. Lucy Lawless cameo in there. Yes. Another Sam Raimi buddy who shows up on Ash versus Evil Dead. Uh, Zena herself, yeah, shows up in there, and I I, I like that. There's a lot of little references, not only to Sam Raimi's filmography and and you know his his real life pals and and, and things like that, but you get the Spider Man theme song performed yeah. by street performers. There's <laughs> a lot of little nods to to the character's history and things like that that I I, I find really satisfying. Also, Elizabeth Banks. Before anyone knew yeah. who Elizabeth Banks was, yes. I feel like if they were to do more with Tobu Tommy McGuire's uh, Spider Man in this universe. I'd like to see Elizabeth Banks back. I think I'm, I'm sure at some point Betty Brandt got powers of some form or another. Some Elizabeth Banks, let her let her do some, some damage. I would love to see yeah, that. I another have. person who, whenever they show up in something, I'm like, Yes, I love immediately
1: Elizabeth Banks, better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We get mention of Dr. Connors, we get mention of Eddie, presumably Eddie Brock, I guess. They kind of yep. it doesn't quite match up with. The timeline of Spider-Man 3, I don't think it's unclear, but but we do get mention of Eddie Eddie here. Let's see. I'm running low on notes at this point. So now I'm just kind of running through. <laughs> There's a lot of burning buildings in this franchise. And this okay. one, is the baby and the goblin. And the next one, he goes to save the little girl when he has no powers, which is a little another connection that I was like, Sam Raimi just equates New York crime with burning buildings, apparently. Yes. So so that's that's a thing. And we didn't even really bring up the Thanksgiving scene. Uh, (laughs) in too much detail but is this a thanksgiving movie we have norman in there sort of coming out of goblin mode but still still dickish and is it is a goblin or norman that kind of hits on mj first of all and also he picked up a fruitcake really really my dude like aren't you a billionaire like here's a fruitcake not like a bottle of champagne or something Mm -hmm. that costs more than 10 bucks like yeah. okay so original question is this is is this a thanksgiving movie i guess
1: I, is I think this is definitely a thanksgiving movie uh I, I, you can't argue with it it happens It's thanksgiving and sure. i i think i think that's norman hitting on mj because norman's sleazy and mm. i think that fruitcake is something someone gave him last christmas <laughs> <laughs> i think when he says he picked can't it up possible. he means from around his Penthouse mansion that is haunted by the goblin. I don't think he stopped at a store on the way over. I think he literally just pulled it out of the pantry.
0: Meanwhile, poor Peter has to beat an old lady with a stick to get uh, <laughs> a can of cranberries. Essentially facing <laughs> down bike mes- messengers and all kinds uh, of perils of New York City. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I love. I love that. It's a, it's a, that that re- that reveal moment where he figures out that he's Spider-Man. Also, like we were kind of alluding earlier. So, so cool. So satisfying. When the villain has something on the hero and we get to sort of watch it unfold, it's it's really great. I think we get, I think, isn't that, it's been a while since I've watched it. In Spider-Man Homecoming, Vulture discovers, no, who discovers who he is first? I think Spider-Peter does first. But then Vulture does like in the car on the way over, I believe. It's been a while since I've watched Homecoming. I'm trying to,
1: I know.
0: I think it's at the door when he sees... When he sees him, that but, but now I'm not now I'm like is, does he know it's vulture or we know because we've seen Michael Keaton throughout the movie.
1: I, think I forget he I know. knows that it's the vulture because he's not got too much of a mask. But right. I think I think he realizes before they leave to get in the right. car. Right. Right.
0: Okay. Oh. And then in the car, well, he, he puts oh, it together, <laughs> which is the best scene in that movie. And we're getting yeah. very close to, to talking about No Way Home. So uh, <laughs> it's that's sort of a. A good tease into into what we're going to talk about in a second here. Let's see other notes that I have. The, the a couple more scenes with MJ and Peter that I I thought was really were really uh, were really sweet. Obviously the upside down kiss. I can't believe we didn't bring it up yet. <laughs> Iconic moment. I know, the, I know. Huge, yeah, huge image from this yeah. this film and the, what directly precedes it. The whole like she's she's obviously knows Peter's into her and she's sort of toying with that. She's like. Why so interested? That whole thing. I think it's really cute. All that. I love that scene. I, I think it's, again, I I, I think that Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst have a lot of chemistry in this movie. Obviously, if you're playing Spider-Man's love interest in a movie, clearly you fall in love with Spider-Man in real life yeah. because uh-huh. they dated. So did Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and Zendaya and Tom Holland. So clearly that's that's a thing that that there's a long history of. And then kind of the follow-up, the he asked me what I thought of you scene where he's saying about like, how he feels about MJ under the guise of what he told Spider-Man. I think that's really sweet. And even the whole the really cheesy Aunt May relaying his first see his first you know love at first sight with MJ. Like mm-hmm. Aunt May is that an angel? I'm like oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's is it it works more than the uh, the Phantom Menace. Are you an angel? <laughs> that thing it, it feels like shades of that, but in a yeah. far less obnoxious way. No, um,
1: it, it works much better in this one. And and I love that immediately in that scene that it takes it from being something sweet to him realizing, wait, everyone knows that means, yeah. oh no, he's going to yeah. go after her. And it's it's just, it's such a, it it seems like a superfluous scene where it's just like, let's play up the romance, but it directly impacts the mm-hmm. plot. Him realizing that his, his emotions are so visible to everyone else that that puts her at risk
0: yeah yeah exactly there's a story purpose for it it's not just uh
1: yeah it's not just it's
0: not just a cute cute story (laughs) yeah poor little jake lloyd Jeez, the world ruined him because of that but whatever it still sucks so we get the the big climactic choice the bridge and very batman forevery of goblin to be like you have to choose which one you're gonna be and then the big fight we talked about don't tell harry nobody harry doesn't know anything that's the other thing i found hilarious watching this Harry is such a clueless idiot. Everybody's like, don't tell Harry. But (laughs) everybody, Harry has no clue what the hell is going on around him at all. His his girlfriend doesn't tell him. His best friend is Spider-Man. He has no idea. His father is just like, yeah, don't tell Harry I'm a supervillain. Let's keep that on the DL. (laughs) Uh, And it's his dying words. Don't tell Harry about me. (laughs) Nobody tells Harry shit. And then it ends with Harry wanting revenge. The kiss with MJ. And, you know, who does she know? He's Spider-Man. Which, which... Lois and Clark, a Superman show from the 90s that I was obsessed with, did a very similar sort of finding out that the hero is, is this mild-mannered uh, friend of yours or whatever. They did a very similar vibe. Do you do you think that works here? Because I feel like the second one kind of picks up on it, kind of forgets about it until three quarters of the way through the movie. How do you think this works as a sequel tease is it successful?
1: I I think it works because as soon as we have that moment of, her realizing, maybe realizing, she immediately starts to fade into the background. And Mm -hmm. the story, literally the focus of the camera goes back to him and she fades out and we get his voiceover kicking back in as the same as when the movie started to remind us that this is his story. And you can kind of distract yourself from how clear is it? Does she for sure know right now? And I, I think that it works enough that in the second movie, you're not, you know, trailers, you know, be ignored. You wouldn't sit down in the second movie if you watched it right away after mm-hmm. that. If you've never seen anything before and be like, well, she definitely knows now. You would still wonder. There's enough it, like ambiguity in the way the scene is shot. And when you think about everything that's been going on, like, this was not like a, a super clear moment. There was no time to talk afterwards. He immediately walks away. Like, it's, There's enough there that you can you can accept either thing that would happen in the next movie. If the next movie started and she knew and the next movie or the next movie started and she didn't, both work. And he really, Remy really leaves himself open enough with how the story will continue, which is something that I, you know, some of these other movies don't do such a great job with that they have to undo the last act of the prior movie and then start a new one to halfway through the first one like go back to it again uh, No Way Home like do we have to we have to deal with the last scene of Far From Home before we very get quickly no home. <laughs> like what?
0: It's- just need one one very good lawyer that's all you need one one really good lawyer and then pff, next yeah. next movie yeah. we're good we're good yeah
1: so I, I love that it, I think the scene works really well I think it ending with just the two of them is the right move and it's just ambiguous enough that you kind of get to see what happens next and because the next movie also is moving forward in time we're not right, I, this isn't you know the the later that summer you know it's been it's been years so it works
0: yeah no that's exactly what i was going to say like i think I, I do think it it does feel believable because in when the second one starts the the first time you see them all together they're like hey it's been a while you haven't returned my calls blah 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 like It's, if you know, maybe it hasn't, maybe this wasn't the last time that MJ and Peter saw each other, but it's been a while enough that by the time things start to ramp up with Dr. Octavius in the second one, that she starts to wonder whether her mind was playing tricks on her or like was she just caught up in the emotion of the moment or whatever. Like, yeah, so I I think it does work. I only had one other final note before we move into the No Way Home corner, as I'm calling it. And that is the Danny Elfman score is... oh. Such a banger! Like every that that theme is other than the Spider Man. Spider Man. <laughs> other than that, that this is the This is the the main piece of Spider Man theme music yeah. I think of, and it's it just it works so well. I mean, obviously Danny Elfman's been around forever and done a million other things, including including what for the longest time was the the iconic uh, or the quintessential Batman movie yeah. theme, which now has been challenged by dun 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 and a, a million <laughs> other things which I, I love that i love michael Giacchino as well but like danny elfman's style like we were saying he has his musical style matches Ramy's sort of offbeat dark and gritty but also kind of playful like it, you know it's there's a reason that sam Raimi and tim burton constantly go back to danny elfman because his style of music fits their sort of they're, they're weird little movies, essentially. When, even when those weird little movies, you know, $150, $200 million whatever, <laughs> so we get to by the yeah. time you know, the sequels to this start happening. But yes, Danny Elfkin's music. I, I We couldn't let an episode go by without at least calling that out for a second.
1: No, no, the, the score is amazing. It's perfect. And c- could you imagine a Marvel movie opening with three minutes of just title credits? Yeah. I know. Like, we would never put up with that anymore. But you do watching this because you're like, oh, man, that score. And the CGI of the title credits was so impressive then. And it still holds up. But then what you were seeing was something that you had literally never seen before. Right. right? As the web keeps building and building and building and the the score is building and building and building. And it is kind of a wild choice considering he's not Spider-Man yet when the movie starts. That we're starting with all these webs and this really, really intense score, but it's just it is that good that yeah you, you allow it. Yes. Three minutes of just score. Let's do this. Let's let's wait three minutes until we see a human being.
0: Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love I love superhero theme music in, yeah. in all its forms. And the fact that we've gotten through 20, what are we like like 25, 26 MCU movies, something like that. And the only okay the only theme that everyone knows is the Avengers, really. Like yeah. you could argue the Captain America theme or you know, certain other ones are there, but none of them, no, nobody knows and nobody can hum any of the other theme music from any other MCU movie except for Avengers, which is why that moment in Endgame works so well because we all know that song. Right. And when it kicks in, as they're all running into battle, we're all like hairs on the back of our neck already. And then when the music right. elevates it even higher, it's yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's
1: honestly, the the Spider Man theme in the MCU movies really just feels like the Avengers playing Spider Man. Like yeah. the way it's orchestrated is it's played the exact same way as the Avengers theme. It's just that they've ch- changed the notes to be the you know classic TV Spider Man song and slowed it down enough to be a little dramatic by the time we get to No Way Home. But it's it's the only other character theme that I know. And I only know it the MCU one because it's just the the cartoon repeated. But this right. is the one that I prefer.
0: The mo- the movies didn't even really try to give Spider Man a new theme. Really, oh. like <laughs> like they were just like eh, the other ones. Everybody knows we're not going to bother. Yeah, um, we'll bring back Jakey Simmons. We'll do the- this is and this is part of my issue with No Way Home, yes. which is the perfect transition. So uh we so usually when I start winding down these episodes, I'll ask you like what is what does this franchise contribute to cinema, its legacy, yeah. et cetera. I feel like we've covered that a lot already. <laughs> so in lieu of that, I think it 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 makes sense to just touch base with Spider-Man No Way Home, which very much reckons yeah. with what this franchise, the Raimi trilogy, contributes to cinema, its genre, its legacy, et cetera. So yeah, what I know I know you're I know you're a big fan of No Way Home. You could think that that movie. <laughs> Picks up the threads from this film successfully, specifically, I guess, with Norman, since he's his story picks up literally, I guess, if we're to be believed Norman, like right before that glider swoops in and, and impales him, he just like poofs over to the MCU. So do you think that this builds successfully on his story? And I guess Toby and, and MJ, but we don't really get a lot of, we don't really get a lot of clarity on what his life is like outside of being Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, so I think I think in general for the the legacy of this franchise and what it does in the Spider-Man movies that we're in the midst of right now is obviously No Way Home owes a tremendous amount to this movie and the Raimi franchise overall. The two best characters in No Way Home are Otto and Norman. Like those are the two best characters in that movie. And even arguably, like again, you can at me people. I think the best Spider-Man movie is Into the Spider-Verse, and mm. that movie is building upon what we get in the Raimi trilogy. Yeah. Chris Pine's Peter Parker is this Peter Parker, like basically, in, yeah, <laughs> it is. And so I think that when other, I mean, you know, No Way Home has has its flaws. I I have refused to watch it again because it's never going to be as good as it was that first night with everyone screaming and clapping. So, I just won't watch it again. It's not like Endgame where I can like feel those emotions without the crowd. I won't do it again. I've decided it it cannot hold up. I don't want to. So, I think when you get like that, that movie was massive and so huge. And then Into the Spider Verse was incredible. And we're, I'm so stoked to get the next one, next two. You know, the, these trilogies directly impacted what are some of the best Spider Man movies that we continue to get. And then beyond that, you know, we've, like you said, the upside down kiss is iconic. And the I'm something of a meme myself. Like, <laughs> where would we be? I,
0: I literally had it in my notes, but didn't have the heart to read it. But I had a, something of a, <laughs> a podcaster myself. But I did <laughs> decide not to to go with it because it wasn't a natural point to throw it in there. So I'm so glad you circled back no, around.
1: It. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so relevant. It is. It is. This movie, like it it lives in pop culture so aggressively for something twenty years old. You know, it's obviously not the only thing that that works like that, but I, I think it is just it kind of goes beyond the superhero genre of just what a movie it was for the time and what impact it has continued to have on. A, a character with arguably an insane legacy before this movie even started. You know, it's not like it was a, a character, you know, snapped out of obscurity and, you know, I've never heard of Star-Lord. So, okay, Chris Pratt is the Star-Lord. Like, no, Spider-Man was Spider-Man. And then this movie really has impacted the continuation of telling the story of Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, I, it's... I mean, yes, it, it's... It, <laughs> it, 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 it It... I... I... Hesitate to say that there would be an MCU in a way without, obviously without Iron Man started it. Yes, we get it. But also Spider-Man proved you can do those characters accurately enough to the essence and the aesthetic and the tone of a comic book and have it make $400 million domestically. And have it work and connect with you know as be a four quadrant hit as as they used to say you know I, I previously to this we only had pre- really X Men which did well but not like uh, like it didn't set the world on fire or anything and then after this. Yeah, you had the MCU starting like six years later, right after a year after Spider-Man Three. It sort of closed the book on on that this era. But right after this, you had Daredevil, you had Fantastic Four. Not saying these are great movies, but I'm saying they happened because of this movie. Yeah, uh, you had Daredevil, you had the Fantastic Four, you had Hulk, you had Punisher, you had every like everyone was wanting a piece of that Marvel pie before the MCU was the you know the most successful franchise in movie history, mm-hmm. etc. Like this movie laid the, the ground where this movie walked so that the MCU could run, basically. <laughs> and this, this is kind of where it all started. So the fact that they circle back to it in No Way Home, I find satisfying. Mm-hmm. What I don't like about No Way Home is that No Way Home, it feels so much like a greatest hits for this <laughs> this franchise and this character that my issue with that is that the MCU's Peter Parker you know, I love, you know, Tom Holland's very charming. He's good performances in those movies, etc. I still feel like I don't know who the hell that Peter Parker is because every movie, the first one is Iron Man. He's an Iron Man shadow. The second one, he's still kind of in Iron Man's shadow. And then Nick Fury sort of mentoring him, and then Mysterio is like a whole misdirect, etc. And then the third one, we're like, all right, cool, he's on the run. We're gonna see Peter Parker kind of come into his. Own. No, he's mm-hmm. he's he's like third most interesting Spider-Man in this movie, <laughs> uh, which is supposed to be the culmination of his trilogy. Right. And then for for this for this movie to you know the MCU tries so hard in Homecoming and in Far From Home to distance itself from the Raimi films that for them to turn around and then have Aunt May be the Uncle Ben who does the great power, you know, great responsibility thing. And then for it to end with, he's on his own in New York with this classic suit. I'm like, dude, are you telling me this whole trilogy was just so we could go back to what do we, I just saw 20 years ago? Like I it, that was my frustration <laughs> with it is that yes. it feels like it, it feels more of a, a mashup of things than any kind of movie on its own. Like I would have preferred at least if we had given Tom Holland a third chapter that was about his Peter Parker being his Peter Parker and sorting out his legal issues and his identity issues, have Daredevil be kind of a, a co-starring role, not a cameo that just just since you can acknowledge that he's going to probably be in other shows and possibly get his, his, you know, now that Daredevil's on Disney plus, et cetera, which great. I love that. Mm. All about, all about more. I, I'm all about just as an aside, all about bringing all those Marvel Netflix shows into the fold. Why mm. we just we? I just explained why I don't like them having to basically bring Spider-Man back to do the same thing again. You have a Daredevil, you have a Jessica Jones, you have a Luke Cage, and you know what, Iron Fist, whatever. But uh, <laughs> uh, you have a Punisher, even like why redo those when you have them? I don't understand that. So I'm glad that they're bringing it in, but to then have the third movie of. Holland's trilogy be him playing, you know, bouncing off of the other Spider-Man, I felt was doing a disservice to his version of the character. I do think that, as far as the villains are concerned, I do think that they did a pretty solid job, as I was alluding to earlier, of continuing Norman's arc. That he's still kind of at war with, with the goblin, it kind of comes and goes in this one. He feels like it feels like he's a little more self-aware of what's going on and he's more actively trying to combat it. Whereas mm-hmm. in this film, it was so new that he just kind of like surrendered to it at a certain point. Uh, but then he he awakens here in a new, in a new uh, dimension where his Oscorp apparently doesn't exist. His son doesn't exist. Like not like dropped in, you know, completely on his own. I think that's an interesting way to pick up that character. Yeah. And uh, Willem Dafoe again goes for it. Like he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't play. I don't know <laughs> if I would have gotten given him like an Oscar nomination. Like I would, like people were saying, because that's a little intense. I mean, I would give Willem Dafoe a nomination for other movies, but I don't know if he yeah. necessarily for this film. But my big thing with that this movie is that yeah, it doesn't feel like it's about Tom Holland Spider Man. It's just like, hey, remember these guys? I'm like yeah, I, I remember it. I get it. You don't get credit for telling a story by being like, hey, my webs come out of my arm. Weird, you know. <laughs> I knock. I knock at some points for that. Even though overall, I do like the movie. I and hot, hot take alert. I I kind of feel like they should have killed Toby at the end of No Way Home, Be, because you have now three Spider Men in the mix. Still, yeah. I feel like you know. Obviously, they're going to continue with Tom Holland. He's probably going to mentor Miles Morales. We're probably going to get a Venom again, or something's going to happen there. Who knows. Uh, maybe he'll fight Morbius, depending on how Morbius turns out. <laughs> I have no idea. I hope not
1: that movie ever
0: comes out. Oof, God, I've heard not not great things either. So it's like Sony's doing their own doing their own thing, and I whatever. But he, if Sony keeps a Spider Man around, it will be Andrew Garfield, presumably. So Sony will have their uh. own Spider Man to bounce around with Tom Hardy or whatever, and then MCU has Tom Holland and Miles Morales and all that. We're probably, I mean, unless I, and I might eat my words by the time this episode comes out or soon thereafter, if, if Marvel announces Spider-Man 4 with Sam Raimi directing it, I obviously I'll be like, remember what I said, reverse that. Um, (laughs) Because I would love to see that. I know Kirsten Dunst has said she'd be up for coming back as MJ and all that, but I'm kind of operating into the assumption that's not going to happen. I think because the, the, the Raimi trilogy is so much about those three friends one of whom doesn't make it out of that movie and the other two are sort of trying to mend their relationship by the end of Spider-Man 3. I think that trilogy feels nicely kind of closed in a way if they, if that, if they yeah. do keep it there. And I, I thought it would have been kind of a beautiful sacrifice moment if Tobey Maguire Spider-Man gives his life to keep Tom Holland off the dark path and gets killed by Goblin, you know, showing him in in trying to teach Tom Holland to give him mercy, I think that would have been a really powerful moment. Instead, we kind of got the the Iron Man Infinity War fake out. Oop! Look, I can heal it. I can put my little my little goop on there and it heals the wound and I'm good. Yeah. Like, I, I so. What are your thoughts on, I know that's the, the internet is is probably screaming at me right now, but I I feel like it would, this, so often these movies take an easy route and I feel like that would have been, that would have been really left an impact on people if you killed the Spider-Man of their childhoods.
1: Yeah. Oh, it would have crushed me. So. Yeah,
0: me too. But I kind of, (laughs) I I feel like in that moment, I would have been okay with it because it would have had meaning because it would have brought that character's for, arc perfect. full circle yeah and yeah. we'd still have tom holland and andrew garfield so it's not like we're spider-man at that yeah
1: point. <laughs> yeah no i i think that could have worked um I, I can definitely see it playing out i i agree with you completely that i think the toby mcguire spider-man story is closed i think we've we've covered it all and i you know i think he was a much better Peter Parker than Spider-Man. I think he's wonderful as both, but I think he is like just Peter Parker AF. He's just, he's everything Pete's supposed to be. And I think I, I enjoyed No Way Home tremendously. I, I can, I can fully be aware though, that what I enjoyed about it was that it, gave me all of the things that I wanted as a fan. It gave me all of the things that as a fan of the Raimi Spider-Man that I wanted to see. And also on top of that, I loved that when we finally end this trilogy, like, or what has been a trilogy so far with Tom Holland is Peter Parker is broke alone in New York with no friends. And... Like he is sad he's gonna work on his GED now I love it like i I love how broken Peter Parker is and <laughs> i I wanted to see that and I just I feel like everything in again Tom Holland is wonderful he is perfectly quippy he is in, an incredible athlete he's charming as can be i I think he does everything perfectly well, but I don't think that those stories were ever written to be Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I think mm-hmm. they were, they were always crafted by the MCU studios to make sure that if at any point Sony said, you can't play with this anymore, they could detach themselves in a clean enough way. And so that's why it was always about Tony. Right. And, and I I did not enjoy that going through those previous Spider Man movies that I liked watching. And Spider Man's my favorite. And I was like, this is good, but. And so they got me enough with No Way Home where they said, you want to see Tommy McGuire again? Look, here he is. Don't worry about his hair that's thinning. Just focus on. It's know.
0: been 15 years since since <laughs> Spider Man 3. Yeah.
1: I know, but it was just like, I was young when he was young. Right. And now I'm like, oh no.
0: <laughs>
1: <Don't make laughs> He's not No. Yeah. Oh, what's happening? So I, I, I get what you're saying though completely that like why did we have to go through this whole right. colorful high school Spider-Man story and three entire movies that are incredibly long to just get us to something that happened an hour into the 2002 movie. Exactly. <laughs> like it does yeah. feel like, wow, you worked really, really hard to get nowhere. But then also, isn't that just so Peter Parker to work so hard to get nowhere?
0: that's a good point. It works. Yeah. Those movies feel like, as like, you know, like you were saying, they feel like business decisions, not creative decisions. But now that now, I mean, I'm excited to see where, where they go next. If they do bring Miles Morales in, I'm playing the, the PlayStation 4 slash 5, the Spider-Man, Peter Parker. I got the, the Miles Morales with the Peter Parker, the Spider-Man remastered included. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of playing both. I'm kind of simultaneously bouncing back and forth. So, if they do something approximating those games in the next movies, I think that would work. I think it would be a lot of fun, especially now that Miles Morales is a global sensation because then yeah. it's into the Spider-Verse. I would be totally down for that. It's just like, yeah, like you said, like I would have, why not just pick up from there? Why do this whole rigmarole? And it's because, well, Marvel and Sony and yeah. lawyers and blah, 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 blah. And I, I get it, but it's still frustrating. Yeah, um,
1: it, it's it, you don't, yeah. as as somebody who's just consuming the entertainment, you don't want to have any of the periphery business decisions influencing what you're watching. And the fact is that this entire, entire trilogy has been directly impacted by business decisions. The, the Tom Holland Spider-Man is completely designed by corporate goals. Mm-hmm. And it, it interferes with the story. And honestly, the fact that it's good, I guess, is an accomplishment. That it's good when all it is is just an aggressive business decision. But it it is frustrating as a fan of the character and as a fan of a previous set of movies for the same character. And you're like, why? Why do, you, why do you have to make this so hard? <laughs> Wasn't there <laughs> anybody else who Tony Stark could have mentored? Did you have to make it Pete? Like, uh, what are you doing? But you know what? it it ended up giving us a lot of great moments and I'm hopeful that we will get some more great things from Rainy and the new Doctor Strange movie. Danny Elfman is doing the score again. Hey. I I kind of, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high, but this might end up being like my favorite movie for, for a, a hot minute because just the trailer, I won't watch anything else. I'm like, no, like, please don't <laughs> show me anything else. Don't make another trailer. Don't show, just, That's it. That's enough. That's more than enough.
0: Yeah. No, (laughs) it it feels weirdly like, I mean, it's not weirdly because they, DC has the Flash movie, which is again, another multiverse thing, but it feels like they're both, both companies are sort of getting to the point where they're like, they just want to tell interesting story. They're less hung up on the interconnectedness of it all. But now tomorrow, like at their next investors meeting, Sony could be like, Here's what we got. Spider-Man 4, Venom 3, Morbius 2, like uh, Amazing Spider-Man 3, you know, uh, Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland. And we'd all be yeah. like, sure. Okay. Let me okay. know when to show up for all those except for the Venom and Morbius and I'll be there. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen Let There Be Carnage. I should watch it just out it's, of curiosity. i heard it's wild. So
1: I watch it. Definitely watch it. But watch it knowing that it is a live action cartoon. Right, uh, Just be of the understanding that like, what if this was a cartoon that somehow Tom Hardy was in? I just, it's, it's bananas. It's
0: (laughs) very weird. Is, is there anything about the 2002 Spider-Man we somehow haven't covered in this uh, way past uh, schedule (laughs) (laughs) recording, which is how I do uh, normally, but especially when it's a movie that I have this 20 years of history and Apparently, that many that many notes, <laughs> uh, just as many notes of. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we brought up before we uh, before we wind up? So out? the
1: the only thing I had copious amounts of notes, and I feel like we've covered most of it. But the only thing that I really want to bring up, which is just it's about me, it's not about the movie itself, but it I feel like it's important to get into is this was the first DVD I ever had. Nice. We bought. Well, I bought the DVD at Walmart, and. I was standing there with the DVD looking at my parents like you gonna get a DVD player because we didn't have one (laughs) and they bought a DVD player that night while I went in the other checkout aisle with my own you know babysitting money and I bought the Spider-Man DVD so for a period of time the only DVD in my household was Spider-Man so I watched every piece of special features. <laughs> I, and I had to watch it in the living room because we only had a DVD player in the living room. So I would come home from school, throw my backpack on the ground and be like, put Spider-Man on and then just sit there. And it would just be on all the time. My mom was like, can you, can you stop? Like, you're obsessed with this movie. Like, this is just too much. I'm like, oh, do you want to watch like the documentary of The Making of then? Do you want to watch something else? Like, I just was obsessed with this movie. And I I really was worried that coming back to it, it just wasn't, it wasn't gonna hit the same, and it's it's just that good.
0: It is. It <laughs> so is. It yeah. I
1: I could I could go on for several more hours at this point, and like, yeah. I, it, I, it's
0: <laughs> it's both weirdly a movie completely of its time. Like we were saying, the song, the which I know I know you posted a, an Instagram story about it. I was like, yes. I was even like, I was totally jamming to it during the credits when I watched it.
1: I it, used it to drive feels, around listening to that soundtrack and
0: it's, my a, heart. it's a it's a great song. I mean you even if you don't like nickelback, which a lot of people, you know, I'm not really a Nickelback fan either. Yeah. That's a great song. Like it it's, is, it's you can't it, deny it, it. Because we all saw the music video four million times intercut mm-hmm. between Chad Kroger and Josie Scott on a rooftop and Toby Maguire mm-hmm. s- swinging around New York we City. We're like, Yeah.
1: Yes. It's, it's, oh, oh yeah. The energy in that song is so good. And I will say the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack is dope. Like yeah. the Dashboard Confessional song. Authenticating. Oh good. So good. So good. Um, yeah. There's one, uh, there's one more thing that I forgot is I wrote down this trivia from IMDb, but I wrote it down saying, how 2000s is this piece of trivia? Because this is what it says. In order to come up with the look of the high school kids, the costume department sent disposable cameras to school teachers in New York City and had them distribute them amongst the students to take pictures of each other.
0: Like, <laughs> wow!
1: Like here's here's a one time use Kodak camera, just like passing around. Yeah. They were all just like taking pictures, and and that's how the costume designing was done. It's like, well, that's what funny. Are real kids. Yeah, I love it. It's it's so early two thousands. It's, it's it gorgeous. is gorgeous. It's gorgeous,
0: and it's gorgeous. yet it's one of the most influential comic book movies of all time. I mean, it's yeah. 20 years later, and people are freaking out seeing Tommy McGuire walk through a portal. So,
1: yeah, I mean, can you think of another superhero movie it, beyond the last 20 years that has this little tech in it? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 the glider. Then that's pretty much it. We've got the yeah. theorem and the glider, and genetically engineered spider. That's, that's
0: organic <laughs> webs. That's it. Yeah, pretty yeah. much.
1: Yeah. From there, that's the end of tech. There's no, you know, I, I love all the stuff they're doing in the in the new movies and the stuff they're doing in the games with like, you know, report it to your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, report your crime. Um yeah. like, <laughs> he's he's not got a nap in this one. He doesn't even have a phone. He's on a payphone with the goblin. Like yeah. <laughs>
0: there's
1: no tech in this movie. And it it you don't even notice it. It's just it's so organically good.
0: Yeah. And then when you get to the second one, he's got that little shitty apartment, which I was uh, you know Tom Holland looks like renting out the exact same apartment yes. which oh god which is, which is hilarious. So if we don't I get to have a the um, name, landlord yeah. I was going to say if we don't get a Mr. Cameo in whatever the next Spider-Man movie is people will riot. So it, this is the point where I I'm going to ask for your <laughs> ranking of this trilogy. I I I'm I'm pretty sure what I know, I know what's last. Where what, what is your ranking of of the Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man films?
1: Yeah, I I think I think most people are kind of on the same page with this. I think Spider-Man 2 is absolutely incredible. Just still holds up perfectly. And this one is influential and fantastic. And Spider-Man 3 just exists. So I think it is 2, 1, and then way in the the distance 3 for the Remy trilogy.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I have a (laughs) feeling that's going to be... The general consensus. And I, like I said, I think three, I have lots of issues with three, which I will, I'm looking forward to venting about on that episode, but, <laughs> I uh, hear it. but I don't, I don't hate it. Like, I think there's things that are interesting that don't yeah. work. They tries. St- I kind of feel the similarly about Wonder Woman 1984, which is an, also not a great movie, True. but it has ideas that yeah. don't work when it tries stuff yeah. different. I, I don't know.
1: Different. So and, I give and, the credit a for that. Bold swing. Doesn't connect, but a point right. swing. So, and it
0: was also, I think, the real beginning of Sony sort of trying to muscle in on. No, no, this is what a Spider-Man movie should be, and then that that just never goes well in the ensuing several films that that they worked <laughs> on. But, but yeah, so yeah. so absolutely, people that haven't seen these films in a while, which I don't even think they're streaming many no. places days because Sony is the one studio. That doesn't have a streaming platform of their own yet, I guess. So I
1: truly can't understand why it's not at least native to the PlayStation.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Be an
1: incentive to the PlayStation. Literally, the PlayStation font is the Spider-Man font from this movie. Like, and the Spider-Man one was first. The PlayStation was like, yes, let's do the Spider-Man font. Like, that's Sony product integration here. And I don't understand why they're not utilizing the fact that they have this hardware to say that's the only place you can get our network. Right. You can only get our movies on our device. That is the, like how things used to work. Why have they forgotten that they have a proprietary piece of technology that they could sell their own product on? What are you doing guys?
0: I don't know. Yeah, that's they a they good point. Them?
1: Should they call I call them? Think so. them I idea? think so. I think
0: Sony if you're listening to this. Yeah. We we have a we have a business proposition. I
1: got part. an idea slide into my DM.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I I mean there's a there's a really good Blu-ray set if people that are into physical media that I own that has the three films so I would, I would recommend people grab a copy of that it has Spider-Man 1 and 2 and an extra disc if you want to use as a coaster or whatever um, no, no I don't am just teasing um, <laughs> but yeah so this was so much fun thank you so much the lady Wan for coming on to talk about Spider-Man the first in of like 17 Spider-Man movies we've gotten but you know it's it still holds up and it was it was okay. fun to sort of dig into it now as as we as we, No Way Home is hitting Blu-ray and Sam Raimi is returning to Marvel for the first time since this franchise. Perfect time to touch base. So I appreciate you taking the time and going way over schedule and talking about yeah. Spider-Man with me.
1: Yeah. I, I had a blast. I love this movie. I, I Everybody should just go watch it right now and just get super stoked for the next Doctor Strange. I am so excited for more Raimi.
0: Yes, strange. absolutely. Always. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media and, and Screen Run Season 3 premiering when? People yeah. want to
1: know. Oh, oh, God. I don't know when. <laughs> we don't have a production schedule yet. We're working on it, folks. But you can find all of the Season 1 and 2 episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's Screen Run. Our website is screenrun.fun. And you can find me on Twitter at TheLadyWan. That's W-A-N.
0: It's a Star Wars thing. So go, go find me there. Well, yeah. You have the Obi Wan show starting very soon. So yes, you must be I know. That.
1: I, I have a. I mean, between this and like Oscar Isaac, it's going to be on my Disney Plus all the time. I've got I've got a lot of watching to do. I may not leave the house anytime soon. It's entirely possible.
0: Nice. <laughs> Big thanks to Lady Wan for coming on to discuss Spider Man from two thousand and two. Uh, I think we did a really great job digging into why this movie is so impactful, not only as the first Spider-Man movie, the first of what seems like an endless supply of Spider-Man movies coming down the pipeline, but also how it really kind of gave birth to the MCU several years before Iron Man was even a thing. And we'll discuss in the next episode with Josh Bell from awesome movie year, how the sequel built upon that. So for those of you joining this as your first mega series, Here's how this w- will work. We do a mega series on a franchise and in the end we reveal which film our guests for this for a given mega series have decided is the best of that franchise. In past mega series, we just we uh, voted on Child's Play, Evil Dead 2, Mad Max Fury Road. What will it be for Spider-Man? We will continue that journey down the road of Spider-Man. Until then, you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at Robert at CrookedTable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. See you on down the road. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. (laughs) (laughs) See <laughs> <Z-R-O-L-O-K-E-D>. you <laughs> <laughs>